0: All right, welcome to the Adaptex podcast, where we have discussions with individuals who are building inclusive and accessible businesses, advocating for inclusion or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but rather amplify their ideas and share their stories so you can make a more accessible world. Today, I'm joined by Tony Jacobson, who is many things to many people, a uh, motivational speaker, a fitness professional author, and I'm sure more that will unpack in this episode. Uh, we're excited to bring his incredible story of overcoming the fears and barriers of his diagnosis uh, to you today. So t- uh, Tony, thank you for joining us.
1: Yeah, Brendan, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here on the AdaptX podcast. Yeah.
0: Uh, maybe you can start by um, sharing with our listeners a bit how you got into the career that you're currently in, or um, maybe take us back to maybe even before you were a professional, uh, what things influenced the career path that you're now on?
1: Yeah, I really got into being a coach, certified personal trainer, adaptive fitness coach. I really got through got to this through my own journey uh, of having a disability and uh learning how to embrace it to get healthier and understanding what that what that process took. So, um yeah, let me go back. My story, I was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, which is basically brittle bones disease. Uh, we call it OI. So I'll refer to it as OI going forward. That's a lot easier for uh, for me to say and for others to understand. So OI. Uh, I have type one, which is um, a mild form of it, but I've still fractured 75-ish times around there. I've had 12 surgeries. I have steel rods in my legs. And, uh, you know, my journey started when I was younger. I was breaking all the time and I used a wheelchair uh, for most of my childhood and then ended up on crutches as I got a little stronger in my teens. And then finally took my first unassisted steps when I was in my early twenties, when I was 24 years old. So through that journey um, and breaking all the time, you know, I was left with a lot of mental barriers. Being careful was the biggest one. And so I spent, you know, after I started walking Uh, I spent the next 20 years not being physical at all, and that led to me being very unhealthy. So because of the disability, because of my mental thoughts around the disability, I was stopped. And and it led to me being very unhealthy. And I had a huge health scare when I was 42 years old, where I was told I might have had a heart attack. And so I was overweight. I was barely walking. I was in physical pain every day. And then once I had that diagnosis come through of, you know, I could have had a, I looked like I had a heart attack. I didn't, by the way, thank goodness. But there was indications of it. After that happened, I realized in my own life that I needed to do something different. And I really had to figure out how to get and be healthy. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to die, basically, you know, and I didn't want um, those barriers to be there anymore. So I did the work of what it took to get over all that. And once I did... Uh, you know, once I got through all that and I started doing things that I never thought possible for myself, I realized that I could help others do it. So I wrote my book. I started, I got my certification as a trainer. I was like, what can I do to help others that have my disability and have other disabilities, have other limited mobility and have these same sort of barriers? How can I help other people get through this too? So that has led all the way up to today where now I'm certified. I have my online fitness program. I do one-on-one coaching virtual all around the world in person. And, uh, and also just in addition to that, just getting out and encouraging and motivating people with disabilities. So even if I don't train you, I'm always encouraging people with disabilities to think differently and to think about how, how, excuse me, think about how to, uh, to get moving in the right way. So, um, that's the, the beginning and the end of it right there of of my story of how I got to where I am today.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, the goal ultimately with anything that's revolving around inclusive fitness or adaptive fitness is to move people closer to the recommended levels of daily physical activity, which is uh, typically not always met. Uh, not only by people with disabilities, but maybe exacerbated by um, those with uh, disabilities. They face obviously more barriers to being active. Um, before we dive into your adaptive fitness platform, which I know we'll we'll touch upon, and your book, uh, what was essential for you transitioning from uh, mobility with crutches to independently walking? Uh, what was that rehabilitation process or strengthening process like?
1: Yeah, for me, it was uh, just time, first of all, because with OI, after puberty, um, it starts to, the fractures become a little less, so fortunate fortunate for me, and with my type being not so severe, I was able to just start to get stronger, which led me to the crutches, and spending more time on the crutches, and then for me personally, to make that big jump was a, a surgery where i had because i had rods in my legs from an early age and so in my gosh it must have been in high school years i had broken my right femur that had a rod in it and that rod got bent when i had that fracture so it was bent at like a almost 30 degree angle and so they didn't adjust it at that time and it was left and so the next few years i spent legs were very much different in length I had to use the crutches because I just couldn't walk right. And so when I turned 24, that's when the the doctor was like, you know what, we got to replace this rod, it's time to do it. And so when I had that surgery, made my legs the same length. um, And basically that was the point at which the doctor was like, okay, it's time to get on your feet and and start walking because now you have the mobility and the functionality to be able to do it. So that's what happened for me. And it was, you know, was slow going at the beginning. I was still on and off the crutches, but I, again, I got stronger and um, I did a little bit of rehab at that time, like physical, um, physical therapy, but it wasn't too much. Um, it, at least it got me to the point of just understanding how to walk because I just didn't know how to do it at that point. Uh, without the crutches so it was just a natural kind of thing of me getting stronger just in my legs in general and um, having that final surgery that was like okay now your legs are the same length this is a huge deal
0: yeah or did you find any ways to be active when uh, you were a youth uh, either during your time in a wheelchair or when you transitioned into crutches Uh, did you find sports or fitness that was um, that was suitable for you
1: yeah I personally did uh Wheelchair basketball and wheelchair tennis; those were like the two kind of sports that I was involved with. But again, it was very much, you know, trying not to break bones. So no matter what I did, even even doing those things, there was still a lot of fear. So I did them to an extent, but I did them to what was, you know, what I felt was good for myself. So it kept me moving, um you know. And I would do uh, some like when I was very young, I was like. I participated in Special Olympics and I did wheelchair racing and stuff uh, of that nature. But then later there was wheelchair basketball and wheelchair tennis as well. So I would do those activities. But again, it was very minimal just because I was always being careful and trying not to hurt myself.
0: Yeah. Knowing what you do now about adaptive fitness and maybe uh, the literature on OI has expanded or improved over the last 15, 20 years. Um, would you have done anything different? Would you have tried to go to a gym when you were younger? Was strength training safe but you just didn't really know how to approach it?
1: Yeah, that was a huge deal. And that that's almost part of why I'm doing what I'm doing now because even you know, 10 years ago when I started getting into my own fitness journey and I started doing research, there was nobody talking about it in the OI community. And so I was struggling to find people that were even trying to have the conversation within OI. So I could imagine back then when I was younger, because that was like when I was 42. So I could imagine when, if I, was, when I was 24-ish in my early 20s, uh, first of all, I didn't know anybody with OI and any of the research, there was barely anything. Uh, nobody was talking about how fitness would, would help. Um, now my doctor, he would encourage me to move. He encouraged me to get up as much as possible and and get moving. Uh, Again, I struggled with the fear of it. So I didn't listen as much as I should have. But, you know, I do know that if there would have been something there to tell me, look, if you just do some fitness that's proper for you and you do it in the right way then you can succeed and you can get stronger. I just didn't have that resource. So that was another big uh, push for me doing what I do and writing my book and getting it out there because I do feel, and it is important. And, and now it's great because now since I've been talking about it, the conversation has been becoming a conversation within my community. And that's really important. And that's a big uh, accomplishment for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know much about the OI literature, but I would imagine that the orthopedic benefits of strength training in terms of improving bone health and um, bone strength, like I wonder if that would carry over to someone with OI in a similar way. Um, Maybe during that portion of puberty when you're beginning to become stronger, uh, and like you said, your your, uh, motor skills and your uh, strength is improving. I wonder if supplementing it with some Uh, strength training that's kind of catered to that uh, population. And the level you're at would be, uh, would like expedite those improvements even further.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it would. And I think there's just not enough, the conversation just starting around it. And I hope that they start to do more actual research around that. That would be great because uh, I absolutely agree. And I do think that it would help because we know you need to do resistance training to strengthen bone. Like we know that those Uh, things work in a regular bone, right? So then when you're talking about an OI bone, now we're not sure. Just because of the science behind OI, yes, we can develop more bone, but it's just not good bone, right? That's kind of what OI is in basic terms. So, but you know what? Why don't we, we don't have research around it. So we can't say definitively that it doesn't work. All I know is for me in my forties, by doing what I did, um, you know, I know that I've gotten stronger. I know that I've gained balance. I know that I've gained strength. Um, can I say my bones are stronger? Maybe not necessarily because I haven't like stayed up on my bone density, but my bone density hasn't decreased. So like, I know personally, I have some indicators that show that this, this does work. Uh, but I would love, love, love. And perhaps, you know, in the future, it will become a conversation and through research and you know, some dedicated, um, some dedicated research around that age range would be great.
0: Yeah, it would be super interesting to see some longitudinal stuff. Because I mean, in the older population, bone density decreases. So the fact that you're maintaining in of itself is a win. um, Because we know that as people get older, bone density decreases. So um, it's sometimes when we're communicating with our older clients, progress isn't as fast as the younger ones, but we're typically trying to remind them that not making progress is not regressing and that in of itself is a win because as you get older, you lose muscle mass and bone density. And so if we can prevent that, it's essential to um, longevity. So uh, yeah, it would be super cool to see if uh, OI responds in any specific way to, to strength training. Uh, I would imagine with it being the potential to be a low impact um, exercise that it might not uh, be quote unquote, quite as dangerous as like a sport like wheelchair basketball. Cause you don't have the impact in the, in the collision that you might have with a, with a competitive sport. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, what was the influence for your book or kind of what was that process? Like, when did you decide that you wanted to write a book and how did you go about doing so?
1: Well, I was always told you should write a book, like just from the people around me, just seeing what I was doing in life and whatnot. And, um, you know, I just never had the, the impetus or the through line for what it would be. I always thought, oh, well, I'll write a memoir when I'm older. So that sort of kind of idea came. But after I went through my personal transformation, my physical transformation and what all of that brought to me in my life, it finally kind of fell into place where it was like, you know what? I know what story I need to tell now. I know how I can use this book to tell my story and help other people like there was like all of the pieces of the puzzle of what I feel is the importance of a book. Um, They all came together and it was just time for me to do it. So I was able to really focus on the physical aspects of my life. That's kind of the through line of my book disable your disability. So it's like I was able to look at that and the first half is a uh, is my story. And then the second half is a how-to and i really just kind of share like these are the tactics these are the these are the strategies that you can use to do what i did so that's kind of how the book came to be
0: how long did that process take i guess i mean obviously it's a a lifelong process because you don't have a story without experiencing all that but maybe from like the time that you sat down to write something to the time where uh, it was released. Do you recall yeah, I th- kind of what that process was like?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was about uh, it was about a four year process. From hey, you really got to do this, and then the last six months prior is when it really came to be. I mean, I sat down and and churned this thing out in about four or five months um, because it was really focused and I knew exactly what I wanted to say. So it was um, it was pretty quick when it came down to it, because it was very clear of what the message was going to be in the book. So now I totally understand I'm on the other side of writing a book and I know the process, (laughs) but uh, for anyone out there who, and I always encourage people that um, have disabilities, have a story to tell, I encourage you to share your stories. Like really, even if it's not in a book, like, you know, share your story about what you've been going through because we need to get the word out there and, and let more people know. But, For me, it was very clear um, once I decided this is the theme of the book, this is what I want to share. So it was a pretty quick process.
0: Yeah, that's essentially the goal of this podcast for me to have conversations that challenge my biases, teach me something new, and then hopefully listeners um, form their own takeaway or they find ways to apply it to their own life. We have just have like kind of a a running Google Doc, me and my team of um, just like things that stick out after these conversations or during these conversations, um, takeaways that people can apply across different industries. Um, so maybe it becomes sort of some sort of book after we have dozens of these conversations, maybe it just becomes blog posts, but it's like sharing, uh, people's experiences and lived experiences is essential to me. And in the same way that, like you said, it took you four years, but really only four months of like targeted work. It took, me six to twelve months maybe to write my course, but it took six years prior to that of different experiences, different trial and error to come to the conclusions that we have and then share those uh through the course so it's like maybe a book's only a one year process, but it's a it's a lifetime process i guess so
1: yeah absolutely
0: um did Covid influence uh your direction in terms of like how you disseminate? content, whether it's the online fitness stuff, um, did that transition that a lot of people started offering remote services kind of benefit you in any way, I guess?
1: It benefited me simply because that was the direction I was going to begin with. I realized that, especially with my disability, we're very few and far between since it's very rare. So when I was starting to reach out online is where I really went in headfirst to touch base with my community and so everyone was online so I started building my business online and when I built my online um the online fitness club I like to call it a club because it's a lot more fun than a platform so my fitness club is a lot more fun and uh when I started building that I'm like no this is the way I want to deliver it even in today's day and age now that people are starting to get back together I'm still going to do it this way and I still want to continue this method because I want to reach people around the world So, not only with my disability, it's very few and far between, and it's great because I do have members on there from all around the world, uh, Europe, India, United States, Australia. So, it's great because I can, you know, train and coach people from around the world through the platform, and, uh, you know, it's great. I can go out and do this in person too, but... You know, and I have and I have had a few clients come through, but for the most part, my business plan is to keep it online, figure out the best ways to deliver it that way so that I can reach more people and, um, you know, reach them where they're at, because that's another piece of making sure it's accessible making sure that you know anybody can get to this cuz there's people in rural parts of the country that can't even get to you know maybe their town where they could find training or get somebody so hey you can connect with me on the internet i know you've got an internet connection so let's do it
0: yeah yeah that global impact is incredible congratulations on that Thank um you. yeah definitely there's obviously huge benefits of being online too my experience running a brick and mortar facility, uh, it's expensive. Um, it's obviously a, a huge piece and uh, the internet not only reduces that barrier to accessibility, but it's also, it can be a essential part of a business model on a kind of a low cost option to reach a lot of people. Um, you mentioned not having a lot of connections with other individuals with OI growing up, uh, but what is that representation like now that you've connected um, with others through I assume Facebook is a a strong way to uh, find those groups, but um, what have you learned through, I guess, connecting with other individuals with OI?
1: Yeah, that's the biggest uh, the biggest thing I've learned is to make that connection. So it was when I was growing up, I knew one other person that had OI. She had a more severe version of it. And she was the only one, and her and I thought we were the only two people in the world with OI. So we, you know, spent our childhood connected, and then we lost contact. And um, But she was the only person that I really knew that had OI. Then there were a few people popped up, like in the celebrity world, very few, one or two. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then the movie Unbreakable came out, right? And that was like a big thing, kind of an introduction to osteogenesis imperfecta. He did his best. It was okay. Uh, you know, it was an okay introduction, but you know, it made me think, oh yeah, other people should know more about this and think about it. So that kind of started my <clears throat> started my journey into learning a little bit more. But then when I, you know, start, after I wrote the book and I was like, I really need to connect with my community. Even before I wrote the book, I, I wanted to connect with the community. Um, going to Facebook, that was the first spot. And then finding the organizations that were dealing with it. So there's one big one in the United States, another one in Europe, uh, a couple others. But that was another piece of it, too, was reaching out to them and trying to connect to the community. So doing the social, um, reaching out to the organizations was very important. Now I know a ton of people with OI, and it's great because now it's even helped me to learn more about how I can help the community and learning more about because for me when i started even training it was like okay i'm looking for OIs that are like me that have type one maybe have the same amount of breaks kind of are in the same abilities level or spectrum but now since i've been training and working with all different types of oi it's been great because now i can help a, a more wider a wider variety of people and so being connected, learning more, I mean, I'm meeting new people every single day and they're coming and, and checking out the platform. So it's great. Um, it's just been a so expansive for me even because then it pushes me to learn even more about what I'm working on uh, when it comes to training somebody with OI or, or any, you know, limited mobility sort of situation.
0: Yeah. When we talk to people that want to start more inclusive and accessible programs and, they ask how you go about getting those first clients it's not a very it's not the answer they want but it's usually find the organizations that already serve these populations find ways to connect with them offer your services establish some validity in that way establish some social proof and demonstrate that you can help them and then it kind of just grows organically through that so there's no easy marketing scheme that gets it sometimes it's just direct outreach to the people you want to serve and uh, a genuine interest in in helping them and demonstrating how you can help them, uh, which it sounds like you've done pretty successfully.
1: Yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing is connecting to the community and and just starting. You just got to get you know the one, the two, and then really it's word of mouth at that point because then people say, oh no, he really does know what he's doing, or she really knows what what she's doing, and then the word of mouth will help to start to spread that.
0: Uh, How often or how long have you been doing motivational or educational speaking?
1: That came really, even before the book, uh, I was doing some motivational speaking because I've been a DJ for many years. And so through the DJing, I had a few opportunities um, because a few of my friends were, they knew about my disability. I was very much not about my disability before uh, when I was unhealthy and I was really in that denial phase of like. I'm not disabled. I I don't think about it. It's not part of me, et cetera, et cetera. So I was very much in that phase, but still some people knew about the fact that I had a disability and they were encouraged and inspired by the fact that I was successful as a DJ in doing that. So I got a few talks through that. And I realized, oh wow, you know, I love speaking in general. I love performing. You know, I'm a DJ and I'm a, I'm a I'm a rapper. I'm an MC. I've done like hip-hop music, all this stuff throughout my life. So through that, I love being in front of crowds. I love entertaining. Uh, I love motivating and encouraging. So as I started to get those talks through that method, um, that led me down the path of now, okay, well, how can I do more of this? And then again, through my whole transformation, writing the book and understanding, wow, I have a bigger message that really can impact people in in a big way in a big way, Um, not only people with disabilities, um, but also just the, you know, the public in general. So that's how really it pushed me. It pushed me to say, hey, where can I get out and share this message um, of resilience, of overcoming, of thinking differently, thinking positive, you know? So that's kind of how that was formed. And then when the book came out, I mean, it really was, uh, it's in support of the book. You know, it's like getting out there and sharing the message to let people know, "Hey, I got this book. Come check it out. This is a, a short talk I'm going to do that's talking about, you know, my story. But you know, come and read the book, and you're going to get more." Yeah. Uh, and that's how it's been progressing.
0: You mentioned um, at the at the first part of of that comment there that you were kind of in denial about your disability. It's a conversation that we've had with most of our guests, but um, how do you feel about the term "disabled"? Or how would you like people to refer to you? Um, Not that they necessarily have to say, oh, that's Tony, he's disabled. But like, does that term offend you in any way? Do you prefer something else? What do you think about like person first language, like individual with disability versus disabled individual? Do you have any opinions on terminology?
1: Yeah, my opinion is it's all semantics and that stuff doesn't matter. So, you know, I think a lot of people use that as a, as a, (laughs) I want to say as a crutch, (laughs) (laughs) right? Uh, They use it maybe as an excuse. And I've come up against some people like that uh, because I'll use both and I'll interchange them and you know you can call me whatever you want it doesn't it doesn't change how i feel about myself or what i'm going to accomplish in this world and that's what i try and encourage other people with disabilities to think about is like you know it's all semantics man it's just words so you can put whatever meaning to that word that you want but you know at the end of the day by trying to change the way somebody refers to you what is that going to do Are you accomplishing what you need to accomplish in life just on your own? Because guess what? Everyone's going to have their opinion and everyone's going to have the way they want to, they want to refer to you. So don't worry about that stuff for me. um, You know, I will say it if I need to say it. Um, If I feel that it's important to that immediate conversation, then I'll talk about it. But otherwise it is what it is. And uh, you know, it really took me a lot of years to get to that, to understand, but it was a lot of introspection and understanding that i needed to do some personal growth through that because i was in denial for many years and that denial just came from fear and from me not understanding myself and me not having confidence in who i was etc etc so i would i remember having those conversations of saying hey don't call me that hey don't do this don't but that didn't matter what i needed to change was what was inside of me and how i felt i presented to the world so once i gained that confidence once i understood that it's all based on who I am as a person, all of that stuff kind of went to the wayside. So uh, it's all semantics. Don't worry about what what we're calling it in the the words and stuff. That stuff is just uh, wasting our energy and where we could be focusing that on more important things to actually help not only ourselves progress, but our community progress.
0: Very eloquently said. Um, I think communication, though, is still a big barrier. One of our things is to try to like normalize the inclusion of people with disabilities in, in our fitness environment on a small scale, but uh, hopefully it becomes normalized on a, a larger macro scale. But I think oftentimes people don't have exposure to disabilities and they don't have these conversations, these candid conversations that you and I are having. So they don't know what to say. So instead, they just don't say anything at all. Uh, so they, avoid interacting with you because they don't want to offend you. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you have experiences growing up that kind of resembled that? Um, And how do you think we get to a point where younger individuals are more comfortable interacting with people with disabilities?
1: Yeah, I think it's just having those conversations. And so it's for me and what I'm seeing and what I've been through It really is a change for the people with disabilities, so a lot of people with disabilities feel like the outside society needs to change, and that is true. There's a lot of conversation that's happening over there, but guess what? We are half of that conversation too, so there is an aura that we put out there. Are we approachable? Do people feel comfortable talking with us? Do they feel comfortable asking questions? Cuz I see a lot of people that will get mad and they get angry at certain things and then that just turns people off. So it is a it's like a 50-50 conversation and that's how I see it. So there has to be a little give and take on both sides. Um people have to be willing to ask questions. People have to be willing to accept that they're being asked questions. And so I think that the um you know, both sides need to work on it. Um, and, you know, again, it's all individual and depending on the situation. But at, that, at those moments, you know, people that don't have disabilities, look, you got to feel comfortable. You got to feel comfortable in your situation and being able to talk about it. People with disabilities, same thing. You got to feel comfortable. You got to feel okay to answer questions, to, to talk a little bit more about what you got going on. And, um, and I think if we do more of that, if we think of it more of a 50 50 conversation, man, that could help so much. And just like, you know, for lack of better term, just cool out, just like cool out, just have fun. If people just realize, you know, life isn't that serious, like we can all just have some fun, put a smile on our face, be happy, uh, put some more joy in life. Uh, you know, these, these types of things will get easier for people as well.
0: Yeah. And that's why we say at the beginning of the podcast, like I don't intend to speak on anyone's behalf, but hearing you say that I'm not just looking to confirm my biases, but I do think it's a two-way street and the people at our gym with disabilities, they're wonderful and they're easily approachable and our members interact with them. And I think that has kind of lowered the barrier for a lot of our members in terms of how they see disability. So I think if there's more environments like that, where people with and without disabilities seamlessly coexist, then more people are kind of exposed to this idea that there's a lot more similarities and differences. So that's where like the, it's one of my driving like incentives behind maybe trying to have more gyms is to create more environments like this or to educate fitness professionals so they can take these principles and apply them in their gym so they can start to create those communities Uh, because I don't think those conversations happen naturally unless they're kind of facilitated in some way where people are sharing uh, like a common experience or common interest and in this case it being fitness so uh, I think fitness not to Oversell the importance of it, but I think it can be a great vehicle to introduce people with and without disabilities and kind of demonstrate how they're they're similar in many ways.
1: Yeah, and if I just can comment on that, I think you're absolutely right. For like a gym facility, for any facility, really, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, someone's putting a gym together, and then if you bring up the idea of Uh, someone with a disability coming to the gym, a lot of people get surprised, right? They're like, oh, I didn't think about that. And it's like, I agree with you. We need to have that conversation like kind of normalized where it's like, well, just always think about that just always think about like well how can someone with a with a, who's using a wheelchair use this piece of equipment like that should always just be in the conversation as opposed to when it comes up it's a surprise for people where it's like oh wow i didn't think about accessibility well you should always be thinking about accessibility no matter what because Even if it's not meaning someone that's using a wheelchair, it could be someone using a, a mobility aid. Oh, can someone that uses crutches get up here or uses a cane or a walker or whatever they're needing at that moment? Can they get in here to utilize this? And that's another piece of it is a lot of people that are in the fitness industry don't think people with disabilities can work out or should work out or you know they have this weird kind of thought about it it's like no 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 we do we need it in our lives it's actually going to improve no matter what the disability is or what the impairment is there's always great stuff that comes from fitness so again yeah i love what you're doing because it's kind of normalizing this conversation and bringing it to the to the forefront where we're like we're just thinking about it all the time it's just part of the conversation
0: yeah accessibility benefits everyone like you said it might be The thought process might be for someone in a wheelchair, but maybe someone after a knee replacement who needs a little more space to get onto a piece of equipment or move around. Um, Or if I'm guiding someone with a visual impairment through the gym, we need a little a wider uh, walkway. So it's like you can go through these scenarios when you're planning out the layout of your gym and you can think to yourself. Can someone who can't see access everything? Can someone who can't hear access all the programming? Can someone who can't walk access this? So it's just a very simple thought exercise. And um, some of these discussions that I've had with like accessibility experts, uh, the one that we're releasing, um, I guess when this one comes out, it will have been the previous week. But um, Brad McCannell was talking about how you don't have to be, you don't have to serve everyone, but you have to take small steps towards trying to accommodate as many people as possible. As a business, you're not going to be able to cater to every person in the world, and that's fine, but as long as you kind of are making those steps to making it more accessible and inclusive, um, and when the issues come up or when the accessibility barriers come up, having a response and addressing those problems is important. So um, one other question that we've asked some of our guests is kind of related to the inspiration narrative that we sometimes see with disability, where... Everything that someone with a disability does has has to be perceived and um, publicized as inspirational. Do you have any thoughts on that as a whole or are you familiar with that kind of concept or that fallacy?
1: Oh yeah, oh <laughs> yeah i've got I've got a a somewhat different view on this because <laughs> I feel that inspiration is good uh, and I think everybody should view inspiration as a good thing. And so unfortunately in, in my community, in the disability community, you know, there's been this tag put on called inspiration porn. And it's like, ah, it just rubs me the wrong way. Every time I hear that, because you're putting a negative on a positive, it's like toxic positivity. We're we're tagging a negative to something that's actually really, really good for people. So when it comes to the inspiration talk, Uh, I try to encourage people to to be an inspiration, I say look, you want to be an inspiration for people, it doesn't matter if you do something very small and it inspires somebody that's actually a really good thing. Because just in the world in general, we want to shine positivity out to people, so if I can encourage someone and inspire someone by doing something that seems many menial in my life. Um, that's actually a pretty cool thing because now they're going to make a positive change in their life that's then going to affect someone in their life. And then that's going to affect someone and it's a ripple effect. So that's kind of number one. Number two is this, look, I don't get to choose who I inspire. None of us do. We don't get to choose who we inspire. So it's not really up to us. We just kind of got to live our lives, do our things and you know we do whoever whoever comes up to me trust there's been some people i inspire and some people that i don't inspire and that's just how it goes i don't get to choose and say hey you know what i'm going to go over to this guy today and i'm going to inspire him uh i'm going to go to this lady today and i'm going to inspire her that's not up to me it's really up to the individual who's watching the things that i do and so it's um it's really great when you have that perspective because then you just kind of live your life uh you spread positivity people get to you know make positive changes in their life and they get to they get to be inspired wherever you from whatever you're doing be it menial be it a big task uh major minor whatever it is as long as i'm inspiring someone to make a positive change in their life that's my focus that's my goal and so i always encourage people to kind of leave that conversation alone i hear it all the time they don't want to be an inspiration they don't want to and i'm like man you're missing out on a great opportunity. You're missing out on a great opportunity to make a positive change in someone's life for doing nothing. And you even say it's nothing. So um, that's kind of my take on it. I know it's really controversial just kind of in my my community, but I don't care because I, I want people to think differently.
0: I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be controversial, but I think like what you mentioned with it, as long as it inspires action is an essential piece to it. Uh, When you see just people on Facebook, oh, like it's almost belittling to some people, I guess. Um, I think some people feel offended when they're just trying to do tasks um, that maybe for at one point in their life was really simple and now it's harder for them because of a disability or an acquired disability. I think sometimes people get frustrated when someone will comment on that because they, they remember how easy it used to be And they don't want to like kind of be belittled or reminded of that. So I think being inspirational, as long as it's like inspiring people to actually take change um, when it's belittling or if it's lowering the expectation that people have for individuals with disabilities, um, if it's kind of perpetuating this narrative that they're less than, then that's when I guess it might become a little bit of a issue, but obviously I just, Listen to how you all describe it, and how our various guests describe it, and uh, it might be similar to kind of the terminology. It's a case by case basis, um, where some people want to be inspirational and others don't. But um, it's just a, yeah. it's an interesting conversation to have.
1: I don't think we're required to be an inspiration, but I just you know want everybody to understand that if you have that possibility, then be the inspiration for somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's probably not. There's probably some parallels between that and like the motivational speaking you do. Your goal with the motivational speaking is to inspire people to overcome whatever barriers that they face. So um, I would assume there's there's a lot more carryover between um, with, with that occupation or with that portion of your job, the speaking.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, what is, this is a question that we ask most of the, the guests towards the end of the episodes, but what do you think needs to be done? Um, maybe for the industry as a whole, or to make fitness more accessible for people with intellectual and physical disabilities.
1: yeah, I think um it kind of touches on what we talked about earlier, where it's like just making that part of the conversation. So people that are within the fitness industry, just understanding that that population does exist, uh that people on all levels of ability should have access to this uh to fitness to better nutrition, to movement, you know, proper, I call it proper movement. Uh, I call it our personal peak performance. Everybody has their personal peak performance. Um, So I think within the fitness industry, it's really important for people to understand that it's not just, uh, you know, looking for or helping just people that Uh, you know, already have something full mobility, and you're going to take them to the next level, of course, you're going to help people that way. But I think just opening up and keeping that conversation of like, there's all abilities, there's all levels of ability within fitness, it's not like you have to be at a certain level to then start getting involved in fitness, Uh, fitness and movement, and all of all of that, which we, you know, help people with, it starts at any level, It starts at the levels of someone who barely moves, you know, and like we have to remember that I think a lot of people within the industry think well, you know, people have to be at a certain level. Um, And then on the other side, people with disabilities, it's like you have to, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be any at any specific level to start right now is the right time to start. So I think if we, you know, keep that conversation going. Um, I think will help to improve the conversation and uh, improve the environment, again, where it creates that comfortability for people to feel like, oh, yeah, I can start now. And then someone on the fitness side to be like, oh, yeah, I can help somebody that's at this level. Uh, I think we can meet in the middle if we do that.
0: Yeah, there's always an entry point to exercise, and it's our responsibility to help people uh, like help people find that uh, so they can be safe, they can be confident, they can feel comfortable with what they're working on and uh, being Comfortably challenged over time to continue to make improvements. Uh, what do you hope the next five years looks like for you or maybe even the next year? Man, the next
1: year, I want to keep growing uh, Unbreakable Body. That's the uh, online fitness club. I want to keep growing that. I want to keep getting out and uh, you know spreading the message of encouragement to get more people moving. Uh, I personally, I'm um, writing my second book now. So that's going to be coming out in 2024. And I'm going to be working on some other programs that are are, are bigger and helping other communities, other disabled communities. Uh, I hope to see, you know, this conversation not be something that we have to focus on in five years, right? Like it's just going to be part of part of the canon that that is the fitness environment and the fitness industry where it's like, yeah, this is just part of it. Um, In five years, we should be able to do that. That's my hope is that in five years, it's just part of the conversation. But you know, I'm going to keep encouraging and helping as many people as I can along the way, through my books, through my talks, through my online programs, through anywhere where I can get in connection with people to to help uplift them and encourage them.
0: Yeah, well, Tony will definitely let us know if there's any ways that we can Kind of amplify those projects that you're working on. We'll include a link to the book uh, in our next newsletter that goes out in a couple Wednesdays. Um, the podcast will be released in the next week or so to hopefully spread. Um, you had a lot of beautiful comments in, uh, in this episode. I really appreciated a lot of what you said uh, and definitely appreciate the time that you took today to talk with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this and I love what you're doing. And I, and however, I can support you too. I love what you're doing. I love the platform.
0: Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about Adaptex, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptex.org. Until next Monday.